G'day and welcome to the In The Know, On The Go podcast produced by Humans of Agriculture. Our podcast is designed to get you across the things that matter in Aussie agribusiness in a way that's just, well, bloody easy to understand. Think of me as a friend, I, that is learning with you as we discover and chat about the topics from farm to fork and even beyond. Well, it's time to get our quarterly real estate update. We're sitting down with none other than Cole Medway, a senior director at LAWD, a specialist in agribusiness valuations and transactions, and proud partners and supporters of Humans of Agriculture since our very early days. Thanks, guys. This week, we're chatting about some new laws in Western Australia, some of the areas of Australia that are running hot. Origin Energy is snapping up farmland and have made a purchase up in the New England to jointly run a renewable energy project and agriculture production. The attraction of more corporate and international investors snapping up Aussie farmland. And they're even having a bit more of a dabble in mixed operations and livestock is back on the agenda. So, Cole, how are you getting on? Yeah, no, it's been pretty busy. Ollie, I can't recall a time in my career that I've ever been busier. Oh, God, that's saying something. Yeah, it is. It's um, We've been drinking from the fire hose in regard to work, and it's been quality work, but I'm not complaining about it. It's just uh, there's plenty going on. This market's quite dynamic, and um, we're seeing plenty of evidence of that. And I think uh, there's some changes and some movement in the market that uh, are you know, quite interesting at the moment. So last time we checked in, crazy to think that was the end of the first quarter of the calendar year. We're now in July. Last time we spoke, you said that things were still keeping you guys really busy. That momentum has kept up by the sounds of it. So, like, how are you guys getting on as a team? Oh, going really well. Like, look, the team's busy. That's what we would like to be. And you sort of think that normally the the normal cycle is that, you know, you get a few, get into a few jobs in the autumn, it slows down in the wintertime, and you ramp up for spring. It's a general feel for how things work. But honestly, there's been, uh, we've had so much good work in the market over the last, basically since February, but that's kept us quite busy. And it's mainly been in that institutional space where all the activity's been, Ollie. And that's where I think this market's starting to get a little bit too paced. Last time we spoke, you were literally just about to jump on the plane. It was probably the last holiday you had, and maybe the last one you'll have for a while. And you were heading over to the Global Investor Forum over in New York. What was the appetite, and especially in that investor space, what was the chat that was happening there? Oh, I look, ag in general across the world and Australian agriculture particularly is viewed as an A-class asset and there's a lot of institutional money looking at finding a home in that space and getting positioned. I think Australian ag is particularly well positioned for lots of the reasons we've spoken about previously on lots of interviews we've done. Ollie, and, you know, we've got you know, rule of law, people have title, we don't have coups, the government, um, sovereign risk is low. And we've got good production systems and we're linked to world markets and all those sorts of things are viewed very favourably by institutional investors. The overlay on top of that is the continued desire of organisations to bolster their ESG credentials in regard to um, their responsibility to the climate and environment. And uh, obviously, ag has a big role to play in in that space. And certainly that's driving a, a lot of investors and new investors and private family offices that are actually looking at agriculture in Australia. You mentioned this two-paced market. Can you explain to me a little bit more what you mean by that? Well, at the moment, Ollie, nearly the bigger the deal, the easier it is to sell. And that comes down to the fact that the institutional space is is alive with um, capital looking to deploy. And that's been driven by this wonderful thing we have called floating dollar. At a mid-60s dollar, Australian agricultural land looks good value. And I think that's what's attracting interest. Are these bigger institutional investors looking at any specific types of farming enterprises? 
Well, it's, what's quite interesting is that there's been a bit of a shift. Like normally it was, they didn't want to invest in anything with a heartbeat. So livestock were not on the agenda. It was all, and for plenty as well, they were only passive investors. They wanted to be landlords or they were just looking at crop, row crop, uh, irrigated row crop or dry land cropping, horticulture. It's been quite, we've noticed this year that there's a lot of mandates have expanded to also include livestock. And I think that comes from the fact that it is understood that mixed farming operation and livestock have a role to play in regarding sequestering carbon. A continual cropping program, it's difficult to sequester carbon in a continual cropping program. And so I think that's been recognised and it's quite interesting that some people, um, some organisations who previously wouldn't look at livestock are now open to it. That is fascinating because that seems like quite a big shift just over the last few years of where people were looking going, holy shit, we don't want to go anywhere near that because of the potential risk, et cetera. Yep, yep. Well, you know, we have livestock, you have dead stock. So, uh, you know, investors were particularly uh, sensitive to that and the risks involved. And But, you know, I think all those risks are manageable. And I think it demonstrates that despite the demonising of ruminants by some sectors, that I think it's starting to become widely accepted that they've got a role to play in the wider you know, carbon discussion. It's interesting. We've just recently launched that carbon series, which was really just a shortcut, simplifying it so I can understand it. But it feels like, and even just over the last few weeks, Nestle have said, oh, actually, we need to focus on not just buying the offsets. We need to focus on what's happening in our production systems to create our products. And that's the shift of priority for these larger multinationals as well around the world. Yeah, well, I, I just think this trend, as you want to call it, is just, uh, it's seeping right through the economy and we just can't ignore it. The beauty of it is, and the great news for agriculture, I think, is we've got a role to play. It's been nice. 100%. And just for those institutional investors, is there any specific regions or parts of Australia that they're really quite interested in? Oh, no, look, I think different groups um, sort of stick to their knitting. And so, you know, there's still plenty of interest in that northern beef. There's still plenty of interest in dryland row cropping and irrigated row cropping. And what's probably where the new space is that mixed farming, that traditional mixed farming, livestock and dryland cropping is what's been opened up as an, another frontier for these institutional investors. It's funny though, you know, I've always lamented that there hasn't been institutional money for livestock, uh, or particularly sheep in, you know, the wheat sheep belt of, um, you know, you run down the uh, east coast of Australia and obviously similar topography and, and rainfall and region in, in the west and south Australia. And I sort of wondered why that ever was because it's a proven system, it's profitable, it has significant res resilience to climate and there's been reluctance. Like if you think about on the institutional side, Paraguay are probably the only ones who have really taken a, a position in there and, and they do that quite well. Most of the other large-scale players in that sort of wheat sheep belt and zone and, and sheep particularly have been sort of more likely classify them as institutional family businesses um, who've traditionally been in sheep for a long time in multi-generational sheep breeders. So it's going to be interesting to see whether that becomes a, a wider focus for some institutional investors. Now, I'm going to show my lack of understanding of what's actually happening in these bigger deals, but is there also consortiums that are coming together? So with that overseas money, but then actually on the operation, I know it was last year where there was, I think it was AAM and someone else had actually got, come together. Are we seeing a bit more of that happening for people who are moving into the, the livestock purchase for the first time? No, it's largely institutional and family offices who are appointing a local asset manager to bring the strategy together. So that's largely what's driving the new interest in this space. Yeah, great. And so the other side of the market, family farms cooling off there for them? Yeah, well, it, it certainly has. Look, by no means is the inquiry dead. 
by any stretch. But we're back to, I think I mentioned before, we're back to more normal levels of inquiry. Like, and so if we're talking the sub $20 million range, that's largely where the farm and the farm sales generally occur. It's not to say that there's certainly plenty of farm businesses that have capacity to, to transact well above that, but just to look at the bulk of where the transactions are, would be in that range. Certainly, I think that on the expansion phase, a lot of family farming businesses are probably taking a breath. If they haven't already got themselves set with, with an acquisition in the last five years, they're probably considering, probably waiting back to see what just happens in the market. I think some are. I think others are. I suppose what's impacting all that, Ollie, is that there's two things that have impact a family farming business's appetite to expand. One is obviously the balance sheet and equity and the ability to you know, gain finance for that. But there's two things about that is equity and then you've also got the serviceability. And obviously there's two factors impacting serviceability. One is interest rates. I think the impact in ag of interest rates like this at the moment is a little bit overblown. Like, and you, interest rates at the moment are really back to neutral settings. So if you made business plans that couldn't withstand a neutral settings on interest rates, well, you probably need to go and have a look in the mirror at the problem, not go and blame the Reserve Bank government for putting interest rates up. That's just part of life. But on the flip side of that, what impacts serviceability is income. And there's no doubt in the livestock markets at the moment, we've seen sheep and lamb prices come off there, you know, 90 deaths, 90% deciles and, and a drop away by, you know, you could probably say 30% or something like that. Obviously, that has an impact on serviceability. And But on the same token, if you're looking at a new acquisition, you did your budget, it's at uh, livestock prices remaining in the 90th decile, I think you probably, again, need to give yourself an uppercut. But obviously, you know, you need to look at more. We're in a cycle. We're in a commodity cycle. We produce commodities. So this should not be news to anyone who's been in the game any more than five minutes. Yeah, well, if you're doing your numbers at that, you're probably doing a uni assignment, not a business plan. <laughs> it always looks good in the spreadsheet, Ollie. Yeah. I'll uh, go and have a look in the mirror after this as well, Cole. <laughs> Hey, it's Nick here, Sheep Farmer and Rabobank Regional Client Council member. I'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community wellbeing and build strong local economies. My job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives. Those that support education in ag, rural health, sustainability and help bridge the country-city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, funded school field days like Ag Vision and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, go to our website at www.rabobank.com.au and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you. One thing which has popped up, literally only has just rolled over as of the 1st of July, but started to get a little bit of talk to the back half of, I guess, well, back half of June especially, but Western Australia, new laws coming in regarding Indigenous heritage laws. Has that started any conversation? Will it have an impact or is it too early to tell? Oh, look, anything like this that creates uncertainty is not good for any market. And I suppose, you know, there's certainly, you know, there's Talk out of there about the you know, chicken little the world falling in because of this, the sky falling, I should say. But, you know, let's see what the reality is. I think it's a bit early to say. You can see why this legislation probably came into play because of that, you know, not a great event with Rio Tinto. And, and, but then you look at the 
maybe the unintended consequences of some legislation in regard to you know the land sizes that it had, comes down and has an impact on you know residential backyards and things like that. No doubt, you know those sort of things will get sorted out in time. So look, a bit early to say yet, Ollie. I think. And back on to you guys and closer to home. Any feature listings? I know I've seen over the last few months. You had the I think it was a Western Australian Victorian aggregation. Just this week, a Chuka dairy farm has hit the market. But anything that you're working on that has, is close to your heart or something that you're really excited by? Oh, well, look, we've, it's been phenomenal. Like, you know, there's been, you know, we've probably transacted $115 million worth of rural property in the Lachlan Valley between Forbes and Dublin in the last four weeks. Gem along at Forbes, an iconic pastoral holding. We've got that deal away at, you know, mid 80s, 80 million in range. Another phenomenal result has been Warani at Armadale which was a uh, grazing property 90 kilometres from Armadale for Lord Michael Hintzy, so who's been an Australian expat, lives in the UK, and has been a, a colossal investor in Australian ag over the last decade. That property was interesting. Again, you're looking at these renewable energy markets and agricultural land getting entwined with each other, and this is a prime example of that. So we thought the grazing value of that property was somewhere around mid-30s, 30 million range, Ollie. Well, it's made high 40s because basically a couple of energy companies got after it. And they're very, and it's been reported now that the buyer is Origin Energy, not that we reported it, but it was reported. But anyway, if it's out there now, it's out there. <laughs> so they are very committed. that They'll probably overlay a renewable wind development there on that property, but they're very committed at maintaining the agricultural capacity of that asset. So that's the sort of thing that we're saying to see these parties invest and so they weren't even on our radar in regard to who we thought the buyer may be when we commenced that campaign so it's interesting how and um, you know different new parties are entering the um entering the space yeah absolutely this is another one off topic but over in the u.s it was like pepsico dropped i think it was 215 million u.s into farmland for regenerative ag projects to improve their supply chain yeah no one's going to stand in front of this steamroller ollie it is it's, it has serious momentum and I think it needs to be part of the conversation when we're thinking about assets that we take to market. I don't think it necessarily needs to. Fundamentally, a farm has to produce product. And how much product it produces on a consistent basis underpins its value. That will always be the driver. But these other carbon opportunities, whether that be also environmental offset opportunities, they're just part of the conversation now that we need to consider when we're looking at an asset and who might be the best fit in regard to buying it. So one final question, the crystal ball, we love those kind of ones. Looking ahead, what does the second half of 2023 look like for you guys and any early signs or indicators of things that might happen? Well, the market has influences outside it that are probably a little bit unknown. I think the forecast and the bomb, look, if you listen to the bomb, you sleep your wrists at the moment. And I get it that there's sections on the East Coast, northern New South Wales, northwest New South Wales, where a lot of guys didn't get their crop in. And I understand that disappointment with that. Southern New South Wales and down through Victoria and into southeast South Australia, my understanding is it's a colossal season. We're certainly where I am at Yass. We're probably as well set up as we've been for a number of years. And we've had, it's back to back to back to back, uh, phenomenal seasonal conditions at the moment. So, you know, look, you can only play the cards that are in front of you in regard to seasonal conditions, I think. So whether that cuts out as the spring develops, well, that'll be interesting to see. And that may well have an impact on sentiment. I think that, again, is mainly going to have an issue with regard to the farmer-to-farmer sales. I don't see the institutions taking a breath at all because they just have such a longer-term view. 
interest rates don't necessarily impact the institutions as much because they're actually deploying capital and not relying on debt. And so livestock prices, it'll be interesting to see how they start to fall out. Like normally, especially in the land market, you would start to see a winter premium. That is not unfolding at all. The market's bumbling along at the bottom. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens when the influx of suckers and fresh lambs, spring lambs come in, what that's going to do to the market as well. Whether all these old lambs are out of the, and out of the system and creating the space for the new lambs, then that'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. So I think all that is going to encompass the appetite generally in that farmer market. I think there may be some cracks start to appear. It just feels to me it's got a bit of fragility about it, Ollie, just starting to develop. And I think that's going to be really important that vendors uh, keep that in mind, that they really need to be probably well advised in regard to where they set their expectations if they really want to sell at present. I think it's it's not a bloodbath. It won't be a bloodbath, Ollie. We've had double-digit year-on-year rises since 2015. So all markets have to take a breath at some stage. This was going to come at some stage. I think we're there now. Yeah, well, there's no shortage of factors at play, is there? But hopefully for you, well... In one aspect, I'm saying hopefully it slows down a little bit for you, but at the same time too, we also hope it keeps up. So We don't hope it slows down at all, Ollie, but I think the issue that in this market now, like it used to be like shooting ducks on a pond. When this market was rising, anyone could sell it. I think the issue is going to be now is that uh, who has the ability to roll their sleeves up and get a result for their client in a tough market. Yep. Now, any predictions? We know the Wallabies are about to come back in. How are the Wallabies going to go in the blood is low this year? Yeah, well, I'm a welded-on positive Wallaby supporter since forever, and um, <laughs> you know, and the problem I've got Ollie, is that you know I was in my twenties and thirties through the glory days of the Wallabies, and I meant we haven't been there for some time, but I have hope in Lord Eddie. But uh, I did hear him speak the other day, and he said it's all based on results, and if I don't start getting results straight up, he said I know everyone's expectations are high, and I'll be soon out the door if I don't produce. So, look, I, I think he's been wonderful for Australian rugby and the fact that at least we're in the paper now he's a walking headline but I also think he obviously can coach and so it's going to be great to see on Saturday night how uh, how the, the Wallabies go at altitude no, I'll be up at one o'clock watching that don't worry yeah it's going to be bloody interesting oh fingers crossed because I remember I was a, a child in the glory days and I think that gave even hope to any second rower could be a goal kicker as well and god we know what that bred <laughs> yeah that's right and he was a unicorn as we've since yeah. found Beautiful, Carl. Well, as always, thanks for coming on for a chat. And if anyone wants to know more, they can head over to your website, lawd.com.au. Yep, always there for a yarn if someone wants to give me a call. Perfect. Well, that's it for another episode from us here at Humans of Agriculture. We hope you're enjoying these podcasts. And, well, if you're not, let us know. Hit us up at hello at humansofagriculture.com. Get in touch with any guest recommendations, topics, or things you'd like us to talk and get curious about. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, rate, subscribe, review it. Any feedback is absolutely awesome and we really do welcome it. So look after yourselves, stay safe, stay sane. We'll see you next time. See ya.